0: Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast program that takes a look inside radio through the eyes of those who have worked behind the mic of radio. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography, headshots, maybe you need drone video or photography, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also by Instacart Express, a new sponsor to the podcast. Check out the podcast on its homepage on Buzzsprout and click on Instacart Groceries. Groceries delivered in, in as little as an hour. Right now, they're offering free delivery on your first order, over $35. Go check out Instacart on the podcast Buzzsprout homepage. And before we welcome our special guest today, I want to let you know our documentary about the history of terrestrial radio. Radio Days, the documentary, coming later this year. And if you're a sports fan in Detroit, my guest today will most definitely bring back some memories for you. Uh, My guest today has been a program director and on-air talent, and social media influencer in Detroit from 94 to 2002. You heard him on 1130 WDFN, the fan. He also was on 97, won the ticket. He's worked at KVET in Austin, WOWO in Fort Wayne, WPEN in Philly. And he currently works as the program director at Entercom Media in Richmond, Virginia. He's also a Wayne State alum. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Greg Greg Henson.
1: Ron, how are
0: you? God, that was a mouthful and from somebody who just got back from Florida and it was kicking it up. I, I realized my voice today not not real good. That was that was a struggle to get through.
1: You did a good job Buck, <laughs> on your live read. I thought you did a great job.
0: <laughs> how are you, sir? How, how are you? How is how how are you on the east side of the state? Because you're in Virginia now, right?
1: I am in Richmond, Virginia, and I, it's nice because I don't deal with the snow you guys are dealing with. Although I do miss Detroit; it's my hometown. Um, But I'll tell you, 41 degrees makes me light a fire because I'm chilly. Even to a guy like me, that's cold.
0: (laughs) Uh, Before we get started um, uh, doing prep for this show, Greg, I did some homework on you, and it said you were a student. I have to ask you about this specifically. You were a student at OCC from 1987 to 94. That's seven years. Were you the original Van Wilder?
1: I was. Is it true that this is your seventh year at Coolidge? Yes, that's correct. Here's the thing. I never wanted to go to college. I I mean, I did, but I didn't have the money to go where I wanted to go. So I was working in radio and I was a program director making tons of money for a guy my age. And I said, I'm not going to quit school. So I would take one or two classes a semester and I would just, you know, just to continue the education and try to get to the point where I could get a degree and so I just kept going and going and going. And I woke up one day, I was 26 years old. And I said, I should probably transfer now. Because I had a <laughs> like, hundred and some credits and I'd never transferred because I was already working in my field, but I was always of the belief that you should get that degree, which I never quite finished.
0: Well, we all fall a little short. I, I went to college before I joined the Marines. So I, I get Is the it? whole thing. Um, I want to go back and, and, and talk to you about when, when did you decide, okay, I want to work in radio and, and talk about how you got your first job in radio. Where was your first job at radio?
1: I always wanted to be in radio. I grew up the main reasons were Ernie Harwell and Bob Ufer. I grew up listening to Ernie and I, I got great stories about him too. I grew up listening to Ernie and I thought that's what I want to do, but it was always unrealistic that you were going to be a major league play by play guy, but sports radio didn't exist. So after high school, I got a job working for Hallmark where I would travel to Hallmark stores when I was 18, 19 years old on the west side of the state selling wedding items like the little pillows and, you know, the fluted glasses and stuff. And I woke up one day and said, this is not what I want. So I got on the phone and I called every radio station in Detroit and said, will you hire me as an intern? I'll do whatever I can, whatever you ask. And Tony Martin, the public service director at 94.7, which had just flipped to classic rock, called me and said, yeah, we'll hire you as an intern for college credit. And that's how I started working on the morning show at 94.7 with a show called uh, David and Beth, David Perry and Beth Conrad, who used to be at PBS. uh, Chapin and McBean, Stephen Allen Siegel, Jim Pellucci, who I used to listen to as a kid, and then finally J.J. and the morning crew and I stayed there for six years. And then, uh, then I went to the DFN when they went on the air, I got hired right away. Me, Rob Parker, Art Regner, and, uh, another guy named Rich Pimenko all got hired right away. And, you know, that's where it all started. And this is
0: 1994, correct?
1: 94. I called her. She appeared, Do you remember names and faces in the back of the free. Yeah there was a little blurb that said a new sports station was coming and it said Lorna Gladstone, who's a friend of mine to this day, is going to head this up. And so I tracked down the number and I faxed her my um, resume. She called me back literally before I could get down the office into my back to my office. And she said, why don't you come over today and let's chat. And then I drove down there. I didn't even go home and change. I just went down there. We walked to the Detroit river and chatted And she said, okay, hang tight. I'm going to hire you. Give me 30 days. And 30 days later, I was working at DFN in the garage as the executive producer of the radio station. It was crazy.
0: Did you have any idea what you were doing?
1: No, no, none. (laughs) But you know what? She had a philosophy, and I did what she said she wanted. You know, we were going to be guy talk. We were going to talk about things that interested guys. And um, so that's what I tried to do because I started producing um, Stoney and, uh, Rob Parker. That's where I started. And we made it up as we. I knew how to produce a show because I worked with JJ and the crew and you know, those guys are about as buttoned down as you can get. And, uh, so I knew how to produce a show and it just kind of blossomed from there. You know, I just kept getting promoted and promoted and through all the turmoil, I came out the other end as the program director. And I think 96, late '96.
0: And so. you you were very fortunate because most people who end up in Detroit actually had to leave the market to come back to Detroit so they could you know kind of learn their craft yeah. but you were you were learning it from masters so it was almost like you were getting a, an education that you couldn't buy
1: it was free and you know what I did um, well I wasn't on the air so there was a guy who used to do nights at CSX who um, did me a huge favor he got me my first on air job in Flint at wkmf which was a country station am 1470 i think and i just needed to get on the air any way i could and he got a guy named matt brown to hire me and so i would do weekends in flint friday night okay so i would do morning show in detroit from midnight or from um, 6 a.m to 10 a.m leave the station around noon then i would go home and nap for an hour and then i would get up go to school from one to three at occ And then I'd go home and I'd get ready and I'd drive to Flint and do 7 to midnight. And then I'd drive home till 1 a.m., sleep till 5.15 and go back to work. And, you know, one night I was falling asleep at the wheel and I got pulled over by a cop who thought I was drunk. And I said, oh, no, no, the wind's just blowing my Jeep. (laughs) But I did that for three years or two years but you could only do that when you're 21, 22 years old. But I, you know, I, I didn't go out and party with my friends. I was just working. And that
0: leads me to another point. You know, you don't just turn on the mic at your, you know, when you go on the air, whether it be 1, whatever your, your slot is, you don't just turn on the mic and, and magic happens. Talk about the work that goes on behind the scenes before you guys go on the air for three or four hours.
1: But well, we used to say that you should put in an hour for every hour you're on the air, which doesn't happen because it's, it's too hard to put in four hours of prep for a four hour show. But you're doing two to three hours of prep every day. Um, if you're doing a morning show, a lot of it you do after your show for the next morning. But, you know, there's a lot to be worked out. And, and if you want it planned out really well, you um, you want to do your prep. You know, try to think of any audio you may want to add to augment it. Maybe you want to write a parody song, which we did a ton of at 90 or at 11:30. Um, the the rule of thumb was an hour prep for an hour on air, but it was probably more like a half an hour of prep for every hour on air, because you got a ton of calls too, and you want to talk to people. And you know, we didn't do many interviews just because a lot of them are boring. Um, but yeah, you really, you really just want to make sure that you're not caught with your pants down and don't have anything to say. But as you get more savvy, it's easier to dance. Sure. You know, if there's not something, you can talk about anything. You know what I mean? You learn.
0: Especially Detroit, because it's such yeah. a it's oh. such a city that makes makes news. But how long were you at WDFN? Because obviously WDFN is where you, you, you not only cut your teeth, but that's where you made your name. Talk about the transit. How long were you at, at, at the fan before they made you a PD? And then... How did you stumble upon putting yourself together with someone and then making the Stoney and Mojo show? Could you talk about the genesis of what the fan was? Because it it was such a huge, uh, especially at that time, such a huge uh, station in the marketplace. A lot of people listened on a daily basis.
1: I think the thing that you have to remember about DFN is we were all thrown together in this garage. So we we started out, and the original lineup, I believe, was Butch and Larry... Then a couple hours, two and a half hours of Van Roll, and then the fabulous sports babe, Stoney and Parker, and then the Mega Man was at night. Through trial and error, um, budget cuts. I mean, there were, so, the station wasn't making money in the beginning. I started in 94. I left in 02 to go to uh, XYT. You know, it's interesting. Jamie, Jamie actually requested that I join his show because he got a show before I did. He replaced, I think, Van Earl. I don't, my timing is not always right. And him and Jennifer did something called the Midday Sports Page. And and Jamie went to our boss and said, can Greg do the show with me? I think that would be fun. And uh, he probably regretted that, the poor guy. But I, you know, we started working together and it was really fun. And Jamie and I, back in the day when we were single, did a lot of stuff together. You know, we'd go to movies and we'd go to sporting events. I mean, him and I drove to the 97 World Series in Cleveland just cause we had tickets and we could. And, um, you know, we grew apart over the years. We got married, I moved away and, you know, we, we did mid days and then I uh, hired Damon Perry and he got hired away to a network. And then I, then I put, I brought Rob Parker back from New York and that didn't work out. The ratings weren't there, even though, you know, I, I never
0: Rob. under, I love Rob. Rob. I don't know. Rob is
1: the kind of guy you have to know. Because when you hear him, you're like, oh, this guy. But then you meet him and it completely disarms you. Right. And so I brought him back and the ratings just weren't there. I don't know why. And so we had to make a move there. And the boss said, I want you and Jamie to move to mornings. I think that'll work. And so we did that for four years. Um, and uh, then, then what happened with, with Afternoons, previous to all that, was uh, Rob got a job at Newsday in New York. So we had to replace him. And Art Regner and I were both went to Lorna and said, the guy's Wojo put Wojo in. Cause Wojo was doing Sunday mornings. Uh, he was one of the first guys hired as well. And he did Sunday mornings. And I remember sitting outside Wojo was driving a Honda Accord or something. And I remember sitting on his Accord hood talking with him about how he needed to approach Lorna about that job. I was just the executive producer. I was not in a position to do anything about it other than recommend. And so I got him to go in and talk to her and, that was the genesis of Stony and Wojo. It was like, I said, You're the guy. Go in and talk to her. I'll put a word in for you. And she hired him to do that show. And and it just took off. It was just so good. It was must listen. It was it was, so it was
0: much listen. Not only did they have great chemistry, but the but the stuff they were doing with the, with having the uh the, the NCAA mock tournament every Friday with different – I mean, it was yep. it was just must. I mean, everybody tuned in.
1: Stoney will tell you he stole that bit from IP in Philly, but who cares? It wasn't being done in Detroit. Then they had – our. you know, we found a guy named Darren Braggy. He did voices for all of us. He did, like, Archie Bunker, and he did the WDFN Squares. And, you know, it was just – it was so much fun at the time when we were in the garage and then down in Southfield for a while before it kind of became – you know, corporate radio.
0: Specifically, specifically about the, the Jamie and Greg show. What, what do you think it was about you, your chemistry that made that show special, Greg?
1: Well, here's the thing. Let me tell you this, Ron. I didn't think it was special because I used to tell Jamie, God, I feel like we're talking to nobody. You know, I did. I used to like, I'd stand up during a break and we could see out over, you know, the lodge. And I, you know, when we moved and I said, I said, I don't know if the show's ever going to get big, you know, and we were doing fine. We had like a four share or something, but I wanted it to be bigger and more. And and Jamie used to say, what are you talking about? People listen. People like the show. And, you know, I was kind of down on it. And and that's one of the reasons I left when I did, because I thought going to the station with the Tigers and Lions and Red Wings would help bring in more people to the tent and that I could grow that station better than I could grow DFN uh, anymore because it was kind of peaking.
0: And that's another aspect that, that not only are you trying to make your show good, but you're also the program director, right? Right,
1: right. And Stony and Stoney Woodrow were number one, and Jamie and I were like four or five. And I think I might have been a little envious, and I wanted to be number one, even though I knew it wasn't realistic with Joe and Mike and those guys. But I wanted to be a powerhouse show. And people tell me they liked it more than I thought anyone ever did. I mean, because, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, eh, I go and I do a sports show every day, nobody cares. And I swear, I went through a long phase of that. Nobody cares, you know, whatever. And um, but I think what worked was Jamie and I were completely different people who never hated each other for our beliefs. He's a liberal kid from the West Coast. Um, I'm a conservative Midwestern guy. Uh, He was kind of a smart guy and I'm kind of a college dropout. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, you guys were like an odd couple
1: we really were, but yeah, we hung out and we got along and we'd scream and yell at each other like brothers. And then after that, he'd be like, so you want to go get lunch or not? And I'd be like, just like yesterday, let's go. And so we got along really well. I think when we got married, it kind of, um, that kind of ebbed, which I think it does for most people. Um, but you know, and then I, and then I wanted more, that's why I went to FM talk and I wanted a bigger audience. And, you know, I had delusions of grandeur. I wanted, When I, my stated goal was when I die, I hope Channel 7 does a story about me. Yeah. Just like they did for JP. You know, I wanted to be in Detroit my whole life. And, you know, I wanted to to be my, um, because I'm, you know, I'm from there. I wanted to be there forever. And then, you know, as you get older, you start to realize that, um, you know, you care more than anyone else. You know, the only people that truly care are in the four walls of your home. You know what I mean?
0: And that's all that matters too, right? You know.
1: it, It is. And you find that out. But. But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, we really, I felt like we couldn't grow that show anymore. So there was no big breakup. There was no, I hate you, Jamie. This, it was just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to go make my brand bigger. And he's like, no, nah, I just like doing sports. And I'm like, well, that's cool, man. Cause you're good at it. Um, but I want to do more. So I'm going to leave this show to you and I'm going to get out of your hair, stop driving you crazy. And uh, from there on, I I split and he kept going and kept going and kept going. And he did no worse than we ever did, but he did better and he did a good job. And, you know, because when you're in it, you don't know, like, like we always used to wonder, do people really hate me and like you or do they like? you uh, hate you and like me and sure you know am I being you know, too over the top and driving people away are you being too soft and driving people so you never know it's a continual
0: well it's like you said i think you each brought something different to a group of different people and 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 to your point why you didn't think maybe you weren't getting as many uh uh, your, your, your ratings weren't as high as think about this, you know, when you're in your twenties and early thirties, when you're really a big sports fan, those guys sleep until 12, one o'clock. So they wake <laughs> up and stony and wojo. Oh, oh, you know,
1: probably. And and I think, um, I mean the the glory days are when the Red Wings were winning the cups. I mean, those were just, we did things we never thought we'd ever do. Um, and I wish at the time I'd had more perspective. Uh, and I wish I was a little less arrogant, a little less myopic about, you know, what I wanted as opposed to, you know, what we could have accomplished together. But, um, you know, in in the end, I probably wouldn't have left, although I got a significant raise to go to X, Y, T. But you know what, what you don't realize at the time, some people have your best interests at heart and some don't. And I, I left people who did, and I shouldn't have. And it took me till two years ago to find a position where I believe the people I work with do again. So, That's great. And they, and they get me and, and I'm, and I'm allowed to do what I want to do as opposed to, you know, the last 15 years where I wasn't.
0: So at this point in your career, you're ready to move on from the fan. You're going to go over to ninety-seven-one. but before we move on from the fan, is can you, can you, I mean, we, we obviously lost Jamie Samuelson last year. Um, can you share maybe a story, something, maybe not a lot of people knew about Jamie.
1: I can tell you a couple of funny stories. Stony Wojo, Jamie, and I, we used to hang out all the time, pre-wives. Um, And so one night we said, hey, over the 4th of July weekend, we're all going to go whitewater rafting in West Virginia. So after their show, we jump in my Jeep and uh, we all drive to West Virginia. And while we're driving, it's late at night. We're listening to radio station in Louisville just because we can get it. And we notice the guys not in delay. And being a bunch of smart-ass radio guys, we're like, let's call him and swear. (laughs) So we called WHAS. Stony specifically called because we were all too chicken. And Stony called, and Jamie's in the back seat, and we're egging him on. And Stony calls, and he, he carries on a conversation about Will Smith's movie Independence Day, and then says, <laughs> "And one more thing, I gotta ask you, why the f aren't you in delay?" <laughs> and he and he drops the F bomb on this fifty thousand watt station. And the host says. That's a really good question. <laughs> I couldn't Ooh. believe it. It was like, whoa, that's hilarious. I mean, this that's was 50 bad. years ago. But yeah, And then there was another one with Jamie. His parents, um, Roger and Jeannie, used to come visit. And they're such wonderful people. And they're still alive. And one day, Jamie comes in. And they're in town. And Jamie comes in and he goes, hey, Roger and Jeannie are in town. Can you clean it up today? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I got a ton of stories about JB. I mean, we would go to the movies, and I would refuse to sit next to him. And he'd be like, "Why don't you just sit down?" I said, "You got to leave a buffer seat, man." And it came a whole controversy on the air about whether you leave a buffer seat when you hang out with your buddies. And um, I mean, he was he was just a funny dude. He's
0: he's the epitome of a straight man because you don't what? expect that snarl that that sense of humor that he just, it's like a coy thing with him because he looks kind of like an innocent, he looks like a guy you would trust to buy your insurance from.
1: Well, and he's, and he was never, I mean, I, it's funny because I was telling my wife the other day, I've been thinking a lot about him and it's a lot because of his family. And, and, you know, when you have your own family, you imagine, well, what if that happened to me and my kids were, um, um, you know, left without a dad, and how horrifying that would be. And,
0: Unfathomable. And,
1: and you know, I'm a diabetic, and you know that's not good. And but, I, but I think, you know, what if you left your, what if your kids were left with with just mom, and it's horrifying. And you know, I've been, th- I think about them a lot, even though we'd grown apart at the end, just because I'm a dad myself. You know, it's horrifying. I can't even imagine what that family went through and continues to go through. I was actually thinking about him yesterday, and I thought, wow, it's already been, you know, six months almost since he's passed, which you should know. I found about his sickness five days before yeah,
0: he died. Yeah, no one knew, apparently. He kept it to himself.
1: Yeah, they kept it pretty, they kept it a secret. And I told my wife, Jamie's on the radio right now, and he's got colon cancer, and I had already had my colonoscopy like six months before, and because my wife's celiac, so she would never let me go without getting it. And I said, he doesn't sound good at all. I said, I know he's saying this is not goodbye, but something's up. And then that Saturday night following that Monday, he was gone, you know, and it's hard to understand because he's younger than me. He's three years younger than me.
0: 48, right?
1: Yeah. And uh, he would have been 49 right after he passed, I think, in September. You know, it's just, it's been, it's really rough for him and and for his family and for Stoney and Wojo, particularly Wojo, because those guys were best friends.
0: Well, he was a staple in Detroit for over twenty years. You saw him. You saw him on television on Sunday nights on the sports programs, and no question, Jamie Samuelson. uh, Yeah, we used to do that show together
1: when I was there.
0: Yeah, that was that was another thing I enjoyed watching. You you got to see you guys look down on TV. Another thing before we move on, the fan is I got to thank you. And you, I'm sure you don't remember this, but I was very fortunate the first few years of my career to, to get offered almost every job that I was that I applied for, with the exception of one at WDFN. But it was matched by the only time I ever got a rejection letter. And it was signed at the bottom, Greg Henson. Oh really? So it was just it was fantastic. It was great. I've always appreciated that.
1: And it, I have my rejection letters too. Do you? Here's my philosophy mm. yeah, I got a really nasty one from mm. some guy named John Shombie in Adrian, Michigan. And I was like, he said being cool and hit back and laid back, maybe how it works in the big city, but it's not and I was just like, dude, I'm just really scared. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, it's funny. Here was my philosophy as a PD was just get back to people. Do the best. You- I'm not as good at it now as I was then because I had an assistant then. But back then it was like, I just want to make sure everyone who applied gets a response. Well, and, and that's not
0: always easy because I was a program director at a country station once and I know how busy that job yeah, makes you. Everything. So it's like to, to have time to write that, I was amazed. when I, When I – right. Looked back and
1: I was like, wow, how did you even have time to do it? And it wasn't even, you know, and I hated sending rejection letters, but I also felt like you deserved it if you took the time to send, particularly if I solicited from you, if I put an ad out that I was looking, I wanted to respond to everyone. The ones that I didn't get back to first were just the unsolicited ones. Cause it was like, I didn't really ask you to send it, but if I get time, I'll try to write you a note. Right. But you know, the, the rejection letter, um, a lot of, I just tried to get them all banged out as much as I could.
0: Talk about what went into why you hired someone as opposed to another. Was it the, the content of their tape? Was it their resume? What was it?
1: Being a PD and being an, two things being a PD and being an on air talent are tough to do at the same time, which I did for many years. Cause a lot of times people can't delineate between the on air guy and the business guy. And I think that hurt me, which is probably one of the reasons I've never been back to Detroit because. People don't understand that what you do on the air is not what you do in business. Um, and probably made a lot of enemies in that way. But when when I would look for people, number one, I'd get on the phone and start calling people I respected in the business, say, who do you know? What are you hearing? Do you got any good names? I also would put out uh you put out an ad. And then you try to listen to them all, even if you're giving them 20 seconds. You know, that's better than nothing. And then what you looked for was someone who was different. Damon Perry was different. Wojo was different. Art Regner was different. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Rob Parker, definitely different. Uh, guys that you wanted the one, you know, like we had Dave Pash. Dave Pash was just a really good sounding guy, update guy, good dude. Yeah. The guy you wanted on your team. So you find someone who was doing something a little different. And then the second bet the second thing you looked at was. How's this guy fit into our culture? Is he going to get along with people? Like I hired Brandon Tierney. Here's your story on Brandon Tierney. If you want to know what kind of character this guy has. Brandon, back in the day, used to hit me up on AOL Instant Messenger. Just, hey, I'm working out at Sports Fan Radio Network in Vegas. Wanted you to know who I am, blah, blah, blah. Just a nice guy. Well, he got fired. And he hit me up and I said, here's what I can do. I got no money. But if you come here, get in your car, drive from Vegas to Detroit, I will find you various jobs that will pay you enough to live. Wow. and you can do weekends. So Brandon drove in, cocky as hell, loved him. <laughs> he drove in and um I said, okay, you're doing Saturday and Sundays, noon to four both days. So that's eight hours. I'm going to try to get in between 30 and 40 hours a week. I said, and then I got some office hours where you can sort the mail. And you can stock the Coke machine. I'm not kidding. And then you can do updates and you can do whatever you want. And you're on the air in Detroit. And as things open, you can earn the midday slot because I think we knew someone was leaving or wasn't performing. I don't really remember. And the guy did it. And now he's on a network talk show. Unbelievable. <laughs> that, but I knew the culture fit was going to be questionable because BT's a brash New Yorker and there were some people in the building who didn't like it.
0: And uh to this day. You gotta take great pride in knowing that you're discovering talent. I mean, another person we're gonna talk about in a second is you gave Bill McAllister his first shot on the air as well.
1: He was my producer in 97-1. And as I got to know him, I would tell Michelle, God, this guy's funny. And so we started using him on the air. He was a really funny dude.
0: Yeah, him and I were classmates at Specs together. Oh, were That's, you? Yes. Okay. Bill McAllister. He was his his impressions, and and I knew he was doing a lot of those for you. Just it was like going to a stand up. I mean, you never. He was just always making me laugh. So you leave WDFN, you go over to ninety seven. Won the ticket. That's not quite all sports, but you are talking sports. Talk about the difference when you. But went, went to,
1: the, I went to twelve seventy first to be the program okay. director, and I was signed as the program director and a midday host about two months into my tenure, a guy from corporate comes in and says, well, you got to make a choice. Are you a talent or are you a PE? And I looked at my boss and he looked back at me and that was kind of a problem. And I'm like, well, I'm both, I'm going to do both. I just signed a three-year deal to do both. Well, over time we discussed it. And he said, well, how would you like to go over to 971? and work with Michelle? And I said, really? That's all I have to do is middays, right? He goes, yeah. I said, Done. So I went over there because the Tigers hated my guts, you know, and, And I mean, they would call and say, why are you bashing my team right now on the air? And I said, "Um, well, your game's being played on my air right now. So I'm not saying anything. They literally called me one day and said, stop trashing our team. And I said, your game's on. I'm not on the air. (laughs) Anyway, so I took the opportunity to go work with Michelle because, man, that woman is fearless and talented. So I decided to go over there. And and I was working for a program director named Terry Lieberman about a month into our, our show He gets fired and they bring in a new guy that that we didn't get along with because of him. And so, you know, we did this show. It was 18th when we took over. It was second when I got fired. And uh, it was a blast and it was the most creative time in my career where it was just like, let's go.
0: And what you You were doing, you, you were talking a little sports, but you guys were doing more pop culture, right?
1: Yeah. Pop culture, lifestyle. We did a lot of funny bits with Bill uh, we created some characters that could contribute to the show. Because I'm a big fan of a guy named Phil Hendry, too. And, and I grew up idolizing Dick Burton. So I thought, well, let's just, you know, let's just uh, try things. Let's experiment, have some fun. And people dug it. And, you know, I get a lot more con, uh, feedback about my time there than I ever did about my time at DFN from most people. Because it was just a bigger audience, you know, there were women listening as opposed to sports where it's just all guys.
0: Talk about when you realized, oh my gosh, we 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 got something different here and people are tuning in because it is different.
1: I think our first book we jumped up like eight spots. I knew it was working because I would just be out and about and people would, would be repeating stuff to me, or they'd be asking me about Heather, one of our guests, or you know, some one of Bill's characters, or Oh my god, I can't believe you were shooting. Because one day Michelle got a box of, for better word, dildos from a sex shop. They just sent them to her. We we had no idea why. And Bill got a box of fireworks. So we taped the fireworks to the vibrators and started launching them in the air out in the back of the station. Didn't you guys videotape this? Yeah, Bill Bill was doing it. And Bill and it was some of the funniest stuff. And You know, I mean, people would, would, and then one day I had Bill sit in a hundred degree car for 20 minutes until he couldn't breathe anymore. And people would, you know, give us feedback. And then we had the time where the guy was shooting paintballs at people who parked on his lawn for the U S open. And we had the cops call and say, who is that guy? We need to know where that guy is. And it wasn't real. You know, we made it all up and um, we were trying to do a different type of talk. And you know, we didn't want to do the finger for it or against it and no open the phone lines garbage that you hear. And uh, and it worked. And um Well, I, was- I'm I'm sure you don't remember this, Greg, but
0: uh you you once employed, Greg, actually Bill called upon me and I'm not sure if you remember this bit, but uh you had me call in as a guy named Tram. But
1: well, right now we're talking about uh sports moms and dads. <laughs> you can't expect with the numbers against you like that that anything good will ever come out of it. Chip, yeah. hello, you're on Live 97.1. Hi, Chip. Hi, Chip. How you guys doing? Good.
0: You know, I, I agree with uh, what you were saying earlier because my dad pushed me when I was in, in, in junior high and then, mm-hmm. of course, in high school I became uh, uh Macomb County. I played baseball at uh, yep. Utica High School. I, I mean, I was just talking out of my ass. It was, it was hilarious. just it, but it, it pissed people off enough to call. That was the kind of stuff you were doing not necessarily to get people angry but just to create conversation because that whole bit was based on some program that was going on on TV about people being just really too hard on their on their kids as as it goes to sports cuz it was what about, it really was ridiculous.
1: Do you remember Penny that our transgender? Yeah, I remember, yes. Penny, I mean how cutting edge was that? We had around the year 2015 years ago.
0: Before, and, yeah, you know, no one knew about that.
1: Because and she was and she had a rough life. No one would hire her, um, and that's why we tried to get her business with the massages and stuff. And you know, uh, Penny was um, she was pretty cutting edge back in the day. But yeah, that was a fun show. Yeah, and you guys and you
0: you know I've I've heard people talk about it. You you guys were on in in um w- w- your time slot. What was your time slot with with her?
1: After Howard. Whenever Howard finished, yeah, till three o'clock. So five days, some days, two and a half others.
0: But the Detroit morning shows would tune in to you guys after they would get off the air. You guys were what they would be listening to. Do you think so? Oh, I've you know, I've heard it from several different people.
1: I know Mojo did. So yeah, I I, I know Mojo did because I knew Mojo already. But you know, I mean, that because they all wanted to do it too. You know, we were doing what everyone wanted to do, and we were allowed to do it until, you know. Until we weren't. And a lot of that was because of Janet Jackson. Yes. You know, the world changed when Howard left radio. There was no one fighting for f- creative freedom anymore. And
0: I have a funny little story about the the Janet Jackson Super Bowl. I We were actually, I was working at a station uh, in Benton Harbor, St. Joe. I was working at a country station, Y Country there. And we had this contest where, every, you know, there'd be a winner every week. But essentially, we rented out a movie theater and we showed the Super Bowl on the big screen.
1: We did the same thing that night.
0: All yep. over the, it was crazy. And, and what's funny is that's where Fred Upton, Fred, Ru- Fred Upton actually was one of the people who started that. U.S. Congressman Fred Upton was one of the people who actually started that crusade. And he's from, he represents St. Joe Benton which I always thought was kind of weird. Yeah.
1: I looked at Michelle when that happened I said, we're going to get blamed for this. Oh, yeah. And I meant radio. And they cracked down on radio and it had nothing to do with radio. Yep. We were at the Imagine Theater that night. And I think Jay Towers was even there. And we were all just hanging out when that happened. And we looked at each other like, oh boy, radio's going to suffer. And it did. And it did.
0: You know, you obviously, we weren't even at the halfway point of your career, but one of the questions that uh, I've been asking everyone appearing in my documentary or podcast is Greg, can you talk about something that you've experienced and had it not been for your job, you would have been able, you never done it. And I mean, can, can you, do you have a pinch me moment? You're like, I can't believe this is happening
1: which one yeah. I was at Tom, I was at Tom Brady's first Super Bowl the one that the one that I I tell everyone is when I was at DFN I was trying to get Kirk Gibson to come work for us um, I wanted him to do afternoon stuff with Stony and Wojo and we eventually got him to do stuff he do a weekly call in but one night uh he called me and he said hey what are you doing I said I'm just heading home he goes go to city airport meet me at city airport And so I drove over there, and I called my girlfriend. I said, hey, got to cancel plans tonight. Gibby wants to meet. I don't know what's going on. And so I get to City Airport, you know, at a special hangar. And he said, jump in that plane right there. And Eli Zaret was there, too. And Eli had been a friend of mine since I was his intern at 94.7. Gibby says, jump in. We're going to Cleveland to see Michigan State play Valpo. Holy crap. So we get on his jet, his private jet that he shared with David Wells. And he says, you can sit up front with the pilot. So I sit, because I was taking, I wanted to be a pilot myself. So I get in the front seat. We fly to Cleveland. We land. A limo pulls up, takes us over to the game. We watch Michigan State Valpo. The screen shows a picture of Kirk Gibson. And on either side is me and Eli there. Wow. And I know everyone was like, who's the fat, bald guy sitting <laughs> next to Gibby? 3G. So, I, I know. And so then we fly home. I go home, I tell my my girlfriend, now my wife, I just flew to Cleveland with Kirk Gibson for a basketball game. Wow! I was on his – Kirk Gibson, a guy I grew up hating because after the 84 series, he was punching fans going to the dugout. Remember that? And I was like, what a jerk. But then I got to know and really dug it, dug getting to know him. And something I learned from him was the reverence in which he held his wife. He was such a gentleman about her. He was like, never talk bad about your girlfriend or wife. And he just thought the world of her. And I really respected that about him. But uh, I got to do that. And then the other story was, my wife and I were on vacation, and we had a place in Key West with my in-laws. phone rings. It's Dan Hauser at the Detroit Pistons. He says, hey, are you going to be home next week? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, how would you like to fly on the team plane to Toronto? And this is the bad boy pistons. Nice. Are you, are you out of your mind? Of course. So we fly, they pull us out, they pull the plane out of the hangar. We all get on. It's You get to see the whole inside of the Ground Bowl one, which is like these, it's all custom fit for seven footers. We're sitting in the back in first class seats. And then we get there. They, Customs comes onto your plane. They check all your patches so you don't have to do anything. Then you get off and get into these luxury buses. They take you to the Four Seasons, and then on the Four Seasons counters, there's envelopes with your names on them, Rashid Wallace, Greg Henson. Wow, ben wow. And then then we sit in a suite. I mean, you, you just you can't, you just never can ever, ever take that for granted. It was amazing, but, you know, just doing that kind of stuff, because that's stuff you'll never buy.
0: Now, when you're at 97.1, you're doing the show um, and you're having very much success, but then they kind of leaned more towards sports. Was that the beginning of the end for you the t- at 97.1?
1: I was gone.
0: Okay, that was, you were was gone.
1: Howard left, and we had been promised mornings, Michelle and I, by the by the boss. Well, that didn't happen, and I was a little pissed because I was like, well, that was the whole goal. So then they so they we're going to bring in Rover, was, uh, Rover's Morning Glory or whatever. Right? All right. And so we didn't get middays And then I went off on the air one day and got myself fired. But yeah, it, then it went sports after I left. I, they were getting rid of that format because of Janet. Right. It was on its way out. So, so
0: after that, you, you went to Philly, right? Well, um, I went to Austin, Texas. Okay. For okay. Nine Talk months. about, you were there for a cup of coffee. Talk about your experience in Austin.
1: Uh, I went down there because the general manager at XYT, when he hired me, Well, over time, as the ratings went up and up and up, this guy called my wife, the general manager, and said, tell your husband to buy a big house and settle down because we're gonna make a lot of money together. So dumb me, did it. I lived there a month in Milford, half a million dollar home that I built because I sold my other houses. And so I needed to work and Austin made me a great offer. So I went to Austin, then I got there and it was like, the owner was crazy. So when Philly called, I was like, I can't pass up Philly, a morning show in Philadelphia. So I left to go to Philly after nine months.
0: Now I'm going to talk about your job in Philly, uh, but first I have I have to share this with you. In 2010, uh, my wife and I were nearly thrown off a Napa wine tour bus um, because, along with two women from Philadelphia who also just had become our fast best friend our new best friends, yeah, over several bottles of wine. Apparently, the four of us were a bit too uppity for the bus driver and. Apparently, apparently the last, the next to last straw um, was after I asked one of the women, "Hey, why are Philadelphia fans so nuts?" She replied very loud, very aggressively, and I quote, "Because we got to win now." Greg, <laughs> explain to me the Philadelphia sports fan.
1: Philly is awesome. They're crazy and they love being the asshole. Love it. It's like a hobby. I only didn't like Philly. Because the company was crazy. It was a cult. I was working for crazy people. If you're with them, you're with them. If you're not, they hate you. And I experienced both sides. I went to the 95 Lions playoff game there and uh, saw the bad side. But when you're there, they're awesome. The city's wonderful. But I couldn't work for that company. And I pretty much split as soon as I can and made it amicable. And then I went back to Texas for a few years.
0: But it had to be different. It had to be different on sports talk radio in Philly than it was in Detroit. Could you talk about the differences?
1: Uh, they're a lot meaner, and hey, I can be as mean as the next guy, but that can be exhausting. Um, Detroit's more fun-loving, and Detroit is more likely to offer you a beer than tell you to f off. Philly, they just love nothing better than to wallow in their misery.
0: How long were you at Philly, and then and then where did you go <laughs> from Philly?
1: Well, I was in Philly for nine months but I couldn't quit because I, I had to stay a year. I had to pay back the moving money that they gave me. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do my job. And when I get to a year, I'm going to leave and I'm going to open my own business back home in Detroit. So that was the process I started. Well, they got wind of that and said, well, we can just part now and you don't have to pay us back. And I was like, yes, please. So I left. Well, I had already started building a business. I'd opened a, I had gotten licensed for a franchise, gotten locations in Shelby township and, uh, but I owned a jungle Java and I was opening one. There's, there's a bunch of them in Detroit now, two or three of them. And so we were coming back to Detroit to open that when When Austin called again, he said, come back to this, to this was clear channel this time. And so I said, okay, well, we'll go back to Austin and then I'll open the business in Austin. We owned the business in Austin and I was working with clear channel and um, the business made money in year one. And then the next two years we didn't make a dime. So I had to close the business and I got hired in Dallas by Tom Bigby to do Dallas, this fan in Dallas. And uh so we left and went to Dallas and and you there you, for a few years. Then
0: you're quickly becoming Johnny Fever, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And it was like and I was just wandering the world, you know, looking for a place that got me. <laughs> you know, and then and, and, and just wondering if I'd ever get a call back to come home and uh never happened.
0: And so now I, you're in Virginia. Talk about your experience. What you're a program director at a company called Entercom. Talk about that, Craig.
1: Entercom. Yeah, I went. Well, I went after that. I went to Pittsburgh for five years, which was wonderful. Um, But now I'm in Virginia. I work for Entercom. Now Entercom is the same company that owns 97.1 The Ticket, WNIC, and a lot of those places. So uh, it's a news talk station. It's I call it the JR of the Mid Atlantic because it's a big AM FM combo, um, and it's conservative news talk, and uh, it's a big beast over here. it's a great station. I I love it. Um, it's uh, it's. I mean, we're having a huge success rating wise and revenue wise because obviously the political climate right now is very heated up, and you know the station is just killing it. But you know,
0: do you find that you have to talk politics more than you like?
1: Yes, but you can do pop culture. When Bob, when, when Alto Reed died, I was doing a show last week, and uh, I, I I talked about it, and the phones lit up. Because I said, you know, here's the thing. You all know Alto Reed, but you don't know who he is. And so I talked about everything he'd accomplished in his life. And then I said, you don't know his name, but you know this. And then I hit the iconic riff from Turn the Page. And people just went nuts. They're like, I love that guy. I didn't know that was him. You know, and then I played the national anthem that he did at the World Series when the Tigers were in it. I'm like, Alto Reed's famous and you all know who he is, but you don't know his name. And uh, so you can do it and then that people just calling in about Bob Seeger and it was really cool to hear the Detroit boy getting some love here in Virginia.
0: You did mention that we kind of skipped over Pittsburgh. you You yeah. did call Pittsburgh home for five years. Talk about uh, your experience in Pittsburgh. That's a very similar city to Detroit, no?
1: Oh, Pittsburgh is just cool. Uh, It's a beautiful city with great teams, great venues. Um, The only place my wife outside of leaving Detroit ever cried when we had to leave because she loved Pittsburgh. Um, Well, the cool thing about Pittsburgh is I was working with the Steelers. I had the sports station, but I also had the Steeler and Penguin radio networks. So I was working very closely with uh, Kevin Colbert, the uh, GM who was with the Detroit. And, uh, you know, working with the Steelers every day was was phenomenal. Um, but you know, when you work for iHeart, everyone's got a day and a number, and your day comes up one day, and you know, just before the bankruptcy, they let a bunch of us go, and that because I was doing the show back to Grand Rapids in Detroit at the time too. But yeah, but but when they let me go through the budget cuts in Pittsburgh, I lost that too. So
0: so what is what is your 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 job as a PD is a little different than it would be at the at a, at a talk station? Could you talk about the similarities and things that you might have learned that you apply to your job now?
1: Well, I just I think talent is the key if you have it you win if you don't you don't and i got great talent here and uh and they listen and and they're experienced and they understand what makes good radio and you know it's politics but it's not politics from a nuts and bolts standpoint it's all the passion that surrounds the politics which is what makes great sports radio sports but the passion that surrounds it not the x's and o's and i think you know, that's the similarities. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the two formats. And I think the ones who do that are successful. Rush Limbaugh talks about the passion around politics and not just X's and O's. And I think that's what works
0: as a radio person. How cool is it to see him win that award from the president from President Trump last uh, last State of the Union he was a second person to radio only behind Paul Harvey who's ever been given that. You
1: have to understand I'm a conservative and, and rush is one of the reasons I'm in this business. Dick Burton is the other, um, Ernie Harwell and Bob Ufer. These are people who I looked up to, but, um, when Rush got that award, you know, it was really, it was bittersweet just knowing what he's battling and knowing that the odds are in his, not in his favor. Um, and that guy gave life to a lot of us in this business. I mean, don't kid yourself. Um, whether you're a conservative or not, you know good radio. And Rush was good radio, and he completely created and saved. He created a format and saved the AM band, which thrives today because of him. And, frankly, we're going into uncharted water when he can no longer do a show.
0: And, and that leads fun. me to my next question, Greg. What are your thoughts on today's current state of terrestrial radio because it is a different thing you talked about we, we, we've talked about many personalities over this last hour and, and we grew up with many personalities and personalities seems to be very scarce in today's in today's format of radio what is your your take on the current state of radio today
1: the state of radio programming is very very strong the state of the business side of radio, because of fragmentation, because of revenue going to digital, is very, very perilous. Um, there would be more talent if there was more money in it. But the fact that you know, digital chips away at traditional advertising dollars, that keeps them from having, from being able to pay the really high-end people, um, and that's sad. There's a lot of good young people in this business, but not enough of them, because frankly um a lot of them can make more managing a mcdonald's than cutting their teeth in radio um, and that's that's just not good for the business um and it's not greed from corporate or anything like that it's survival and uh every day we're out here trying to create a path forward particularly during this pandemic and not just survive but thrive as radio uh, as radio people and it's tough right now. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of great people who should still be in this business, but they can't afford them. You know, it's 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 not like it was even 20 years ago where you could make six figures or more. It's just a tough gig right now.
0: And the truth of the matter is, is because there is so much competition, Greg. I mean, you talk about not just satellite radio, but you have a video. Types of, of programming you have podcast. In fact, you're you're not only doing a podcast, which I want to ask you about, but you're also doing. I saw something. You're doing something showing behind the scenes video wise of what's going on behind the scenes at at your place. Could you talk about how that's a little? I mean, talk about what you're doing there because I think it's kind of cool.
1: I don't know. One of my hobbies is to watch people who live in vans on YouTube. Have you ever watched van life videos? <laughs> I have not,
0: but I will now. I can assure you. Oh my
1: god, it's so fast! These guys got these vans tricked out, and they're living in them. And that's where I'm heading someday. I don't know if the wife's going to like it, but I'm going to live in an RV. I, I thought, well, I've always thought people would like to see the behind the scenes workings of a radio station, the meetings, you know, the the shows, the prep, the everything that goes on in our life. I think people are fascinated by because we're on the microphone, not on the camera. And so I dropped a trailer last week called The Radio Life where I want to do videos showing what it's like to work and live in a radio station. And my model was these van life guys, because these guys have 400,000 followers. And I think we're much more interesting than somebody living in a van. So I'm going to do that. I'm getting ready to drop my first episode next week. So plus it's just a hobby, something to do during the pandemic because you can't leave the house.
0: It's entertaining, but also you're doing a podcast.
1: And we do that because I think we really enjoy each other and, And it's an outlet for us. And, uh, you know, maybe somebody will like it and say, hey, come back to Detroit and work together. You never know.
0: What kind of stuff are you doing on your podcast, Greg?
1: Just like like what we did on the air. It's pop culture. It's, you know, funny stuff about politics. It's sports. You know, whatever's going on, it's whatever wacky thing Michelle's doing. You know, um, she's living up in some cabin up north right now. And uh, so we talk about that and, you know, whatever whatever happens to be interesting that day. And, you know, we try to keep it focused on Detroit because we're both from there. And, you know, it's a good time. It's a blast. Um, Unfortunately, she's goofy and, you know, it's hard to track her down. Like, I don't know where she is from day to day. Um, so they're sporadic but we do the best we can
0: Now you mentioned earlier that uh, you wouldn't mind returning to Detroit is that is there any unfulfilled dreams or unfulfilled goals that you had that you set out for yourself of broadcasting that maybe you'd, you'd like to try again?
1: I wanted to retire in Detroit I wanted to stay in my hometown I'm not you know I'm look I'm not um, I'm not disappointed that I've traveled I, I've met a ton of people I've gained a lot of um, experiences and some sophistication that I would have never gained if I'd lived within 20 miles of where I grew up. Um, but, you know, Detroit radio is always, you know, was always my thing. I always wanted to, I told you, you know, when, when I wrote down my big audacious goal, it was when I died, I wanted a special on channel seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was what I always wanted because that's what they did when, when great Detroiters passed. JP McCarthy. Ernie, you forgot the big tribute and the TV show and all that stuff. And, you know, and, and if something ever were to happen to any of the other icons, you know, they'd be covered. And you know, it's probably too late for that now. Um, but, you know, that was always what I wanted to you know to do. I always wanted to work on JR and uh, host a show there. because. But I didn't want to do it when I was younger because I felt like that would have to be the more mature me. Not so for was, nothing,
0: Greg, but I think Frank's about to step down. So maybe uh, <laughs> it's not out of the possibility. I think it would be fantastic. Sean yeah. Bellegian's over there.
1: I know it. And- I, I, I'm sure he wants that job too. So.
0: Well, that notwithstanding what's next for Greg Henson.
1: Uh, well, I'll probably just stay in Virginia and try to keep growing this radio station. I have a high school senior and a sophomore. So that's a full-time
0: job right there. (laughs)
1: Yeah, And the youngest one plays travel hockey and you know how that goes being from Michigan. And it's even tougher here because we obviously have less hockey in the South. So, you know, I want to get them into college and then, uh, You know, explore opportunities within this company, because I think if you want to be in radio, this is one of the companies you want to be with uh, right now, just because Intercom is a really solid company. And you can see that by the brands they have in Detroit with, uh, you know, 97.1. And so, yeah, but I mean, coming home would always be preferable, but kind of set that aside and stop thinking about it just because it's been so long.
0: One final thing, because I know you did spend some time in Pittsburgh, and, and yes. it, my movie, it opens up talking about the very genesis of radio, and there's much speculation over what was the first licensed radio station. Was it WWJ in Detroit, or was it KDKA in Pittsburgh? I'm sure you have an opinion on it. It's WWJ. That's what I always say. because
1: That's what Detroit boys say. Well, the thing is, is wasn't one the first broadcast and one the first licensed commercial station?
0: Well, the the wording is ambiguous, but here's what I found out. Essentially, this is what it said in front of me. It said, "W or KDKA was the first station to get a license in." Uh, I think it said October of two thousand or of nineteen twenty, and yes. then underneath it, it said WWJ went on the air with its license in August nineteen twenty. So obviously, August comes before October, so <laughs> that's where I go off of. So WWJ is to me. But there's still much speculation, and I, I think it's it's fun to have that conversation, especially since radio just turned 100 years old.
1: Well, my station's 95 year.
0: That's so cool.
1: Yeah, RVA started in, uh, what was it, 20, 20 well, it, it's 95 years ago, 25, yeah. So we're going to have our 100th coming up. That's exciting. I know. It's great. It's really great. But.
0: Greg, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. All the best to you and yours, my friend.
1: Thanks, Ron. Man, thanks for letting me go down memory lane with you. It was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, you threw some name about the sports, babe. I have not third of, oh, she was horrible. You know what?
1: I talk to her oh. on Twitter all the time. I love her.
0: She loved to push people's buttons, and boy, did she pull, She pushed me when I was in my 20s. Boy, did she get me.
1: When she would come on the air on Friday and scream, Honey, I'm home. Oh. <laughs>
0: Greg Henson, check out his uh, website, greghenson.com. That's with three G's, G-R-E-G-G-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. Thanks again, Greg. And thank you for tuning in for Radio Days, the podcast. And, of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming later this year. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, photography, headshots, drone video or photography head over to ron robinson studios.com also instacart express check out the podcast on its homepage. buzzsprout click out the instacart groceries groceries delivered in less than an hour right now they're offering free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks go check it out instacart instacart rather on this podcast buzzsprout homepage. tune in next week for another episode of radio days to podcast till then